Hi, everyone. Cheryl A. back again with On My Watch. I just want to talk about a few things today, and there's still so much happening, and the genocide continues, the ethnic cleansing continues in Palestine. But for those of you that know me, you'll know that I spend a couple of months in San Francisco every year. And do you know, it's been interesting to see and hear the news here and to speak to people and to talk about, I guess what I'm talking about is perspective. Uh, What I've noticed, and this is just with the group of people that I know in San Francisco, and it's not representative of all of San Francisco or all of America, for sure. 300 million people live here, so (laughs) you get all sorts of opinions. But it's really interesting the way they are thinking about the conflict. Definitely it's it's not so much pro-genocide, but it's more about not being or trying not to be anti-Semitic. That is seems to be very important for the Americans that I know here. Uh, so when I talk about the conflict, they're so nervous and so worried about responding and so worried about me making reference to genocide or the Holocaust, making a comparison. A friend of mine said to me the other day, oh, surely you can't be serious. Six million people were murdered in the Holocaust. And they were. There's no doubt about that. But does that really, is that really a good reason to murder 20,000 people in Palestine? It's really been interesting. The conversations here are fraught for me anyhow, and it's kind of like there's an elephant in the room. So I'm trying to be really careful and to tread lightly. Another thing is the perception of me here, and it was a little bit like this in Sydney as well, is that I'm crazy in terms of talking about Palestine, like I'm, there's something about me, you know, you should stop, you should take a rest, you should take a break. And I'm sensing that here too, that it's like, you know, oh, there's Cheryl and she's she's uh, obsessed with ha- what's happening in Palestine and she can't stop talking about it. Well, do you know that's true? But I think we should all be obsessed because we are all witnesses. At this very moment, we're witnesses to a genocide I don't understand why the whole world is not obsessed. Children, women, men being murdered every single day, one atrocity over the other. What we have to remind ourselves is how will history judge us? How will history judge you and I? I've talked about this before. When I was growing up and when I learned first learned about the Holocaust, it hit me. So, I mean, I wear my heart on my sleeve anyhow, but it, I remember it hit me so badly. The the suffering, the murder, the seeing people, there's black and white films and, and reading about it and seeing people taken, you know, there was a whole system, a, a systematic murder of millions of people, you know, the trains and where they took Jewish people to gas them. It's terrible. And I always, always would wonder, that was the thing that first, my first reaction was, where were we? Where was the world when Hitler was murdering systematically six million Jewish people for no reason? Where were we? Well, you know, that question has been answered now. You know, I asked that question for years and years, and now I know the answer. Where are we now? 
I read a an interesting article, and you guys might have read it as well, by Marsha Gessen, and it's published in The New Yorker and it's called In the Shadow of the Holocaust. There's been quite a bit of discussion about it because, of course, people are very much interested in cancelling Marsha for, for the article. I've been so critical of the mastheads, but I've got to say I have really valued the editorial of The New Yorker and the editor there is a guy called David Remnick who's been there for years and years. He's published Marsha Gesson's essay, but he's also uh, just recently as well published a an article, an essay by a Palestinian writer who had written for the New Yorker before, Mosab Abu Toha. That's a terrible pronunciation, but that's all I have for you this morning. Read it if you can. It's called The Perilous Journey of Gaza, and he ends it with a beautiful poem dedicated to his mother. But anyway, what I want to talk about here is the reference to the Holocaust and why it is, why it is that people squirm when People are squeamish, if you like, uh, when we talk about that. And people are squeamish, again, because I think people are worried about being labelled anti-Semitic. Just remember that any time you criticise the Israel, Israeli government, the Israeli terrorist force, the IDF, you are considered, well, by some people you're considered anti-Semitic, which is kind of outrageous. But anyway, I want to get back to the comparisons of what's happening and Marsha's essay Marsha says many things, and it's a long essay, but one of the things that really kind of sat with me is Marsha said that the genocide is live and we have the opportunity to stop it, not like history. And I really believe that to be true. It would have been very difficult for people to be a witness to what happened in the Holocaust because, of course, we didn't have social media and, you know, it's in wartime and the access. I, I think a lot of the stories that came from from that time were eyewitness stories, right? But here, right now, we are seeing what is happening in Palestine live. So we do have the opportunity and yet we're still not doing anything about it. I don't know if you've seen the recent death toll. And every day gets worse and worse. And the last numbers that I looked at, and of course they're changing every single day, but we have 29,000, almost 30,000 Palestinians killed by Israel. And I saw something on Twitter this morning that it said that that number might not even be accurate. We're looking at a much higher number. But the number that scares all of us is the number of children killed by Israel, and that's well over 10,000 children murdered. I will never, ever understand how we've let this happen. I will never understand it. So that brings me to the subject of the IDF, the terrorist group, the IDF, and I am calling them that because the reason why Hamas is called a terrorist group is because that army does not belong to a country or a state. Now, the reason why Israel gets away with it is because they're a state and they call that an army. But they're no different to any other terrorist organisation or any other organisation that's considered an army. Now, I have, and I know a lot of you out there have felt the same thing, that the atrocities are getting worse and the confidence of the IDF soldiers, the terrorist soldiers, is getting worse. And we are seeing so much violence, so much bloodshed at the hands of these, these kids. 
I saw something recently where a whole lot of tanks had rolled over. That makes me think the lack of experience. The the nature of of the IDF seems to be that they're just there's no strategy and it's just like a riot of murders, right? There's a, a clip out there, a video clip of an Israeli soldier being interviewed by somebody and that person is anonymous, but he starts bragging about murdering children and he said he'd like to, he's murdered a 12-year-old, but he'd also like to murder babies, but he doesn't think there's any babies left. Think about that. Now that's something that they've videoed. The IDF in its propaganda knows that this footage is out there, and yet people still talk to me about sides. There's no sides here. You know, the only side that you need to take is pro-humanity, and that brings me to Robert Fisk. I I went back and had a look at some of the things that he's been talking about, and you might remember uh, Robert has written about the Middle East for years and years. He's an English journalist, and he's been around for a long time. And he talks about sides. He talks about recording history and the job of a journalist, right? And he talks about the fact that if we were going to investigate the Holocaust, and let's go back there, do we interview Hitler and the SS soldiers or do we interview and listen to the stories of the victims? of the people that endured the violence. So the coloniser over being colonised. And for whatever reason, people talk about two sides. There's no two sides of a genocide. You're either the coloniser or the colonised. The barbaric actions of the coloniser, I think, are a result of the fact that the world is sitting back and watching And they have now got free reign to commit any kind of crime or horror or atrocities they can. There are so many atrocities. I just want to go through a couple of ones because I think these are pertinent. And if you want to see them, of course, they're all over Instagram. But there is one, and again, the IDF releases these footage, where men have been stripped down to their underwear And in these videos, there are children. You can see that there's young boys, and I reckon the age would be, you know, no older than 10 or 12. And they are stripping these people down, and I don't know what they do with them. But one of the the stories that it's come out recently is that they've killed, I think it was 60 or 70 men, and they delivered the bodies to Gaza but it was found that many of them had their organs missing. Now, how barbaric is that? How barbaric is that? Think about it. What are they doing? I have heard of in the past before that, well, it's probably ongoing, that they have skin banks where they take where they skin dead Palestinians, and this has been going on over the years. Because remember, Palestinians have been living in an apartheid situation for many years. So that's one of the horror stories that I've heard is the skin bank. The next horror story that I've heard and read about is that Israel imprisons 
dead bodies as well. So what they do is if a person, if a hostage dies in captivity, because remember these people are often not proven guilty of any crime, but they take them, so they're hostages. In like, let's say, for instance, you're serving a five-year sentence and you die within three years, they hold your body in a morgue for two years. I mean, just just help me understand what is happening there. Is that a power play? What is that? I want to talk about another atrocity that has been happening. This is not the IDF, but it's incredibly interesting. In an Israeli high school, students assaulted a school principal after he shared an article calling for a more humanitarian aid in Gaza. So the principal shared an article, so he showed some empathy towards the Palestinian people and the school students, you can see there's many, many kids and they're actually trying to assault the principal. Where does that come from? Where does that hatred come from? This is, this is, you know, I try to think about all the people in Israel that disagree vehemently with what's happening. I know that no country is 100% in agreement. And, you know, Netanyahu had, you know, less than 20% popularity. You know, you'd want to call him a dictator, really. I mean, I know it's a democracy, but he keeps getting in power because he makes deals with the devil and that's how he holds power. And don't forget, this is about him and power and him and the deal that he did with the right-wing extremists. Anyway, we've talked about that. So I know that not all Israelis agree with this war, and I would say many, many of them don't. But when you look at this footage in this high school where so many students are attacking the principal, it does worry me about what kind of society, how does Israel move on from here? How does Israel move on from this atrocity? Anyway, that's a bigger subject. There's another atrocity that I want to talk about, and uh, this comes from a headline that I saw the other day. Israel admits it killed dozens in Christmas massacre. And some spokesman has come up and said that was a mistake, that they murdered a whole lot of people, a whole lot of Palestinians um, in Gaza on Christmas Eve. What kind of mistake is that? How does a mistake like that happen? You know how a mistake like that happens when you have 300,000 rogue IDF terrorists out there. These kids and a lot of these kids that have come back to serve from all around the world are trigger happy. It's like that IDF soldier, terrorist soldier that I just talked about who was bragging about wanting to kill babies and has already killed children. And then you get another lot of terrorists, IDF terrorists, killing, murdering 70 Gazans by accident. This is the terror that we're witnessing. And then people still try and tell me there's two sides to this story. Going back to the comparison with the Holocaust, I've seen a female IDF soldier, terrorist, holding a sign up and it says, never again is now. Now, you might be familiar with the slogan, never again, and that has been used by a lot of Israelis, a lot of Jews, a lot of, you know, non-Jews around the world, never again, referring to the Holocaust and saying that at the time 
we said, never again, but it's happening now. And this this young female soldier is bragging about it. And there was another article that I read recently about female IDF terrorists and Fatima Bhutto um, made a comment on it. The Australian Financial Review reported, they were bragging about this, that slightly built soldiers showed no squeamishness at killing. So slightly built female soldiers showed no squeamish at killing and they were saying how they were making a reference really to feminism and saying that here are women out there fighting alongside men. No, 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 no. I think, and and Fatima, you know, you can go and find this um, on Fatima's uh, Instagram or Twitter. She talks about how deranged it is to claim feminists when you're actually killing these very women that are slightly built and show no squirmishness are actually killing mothers, babies and children. Please don't talk to me about feminism when we're talking about IDF soldiers. Just don't do that, right? I just want to end on this note and hopefully it's kind of bittersweet. It's a note of positivity but, you know, coming with deep sadness because anything about this subject at the moment is deeply sad. There's a journalist called Motaz Azaza and he's got an Instagram account. He's been on the ground since day one of this conflict and he's been recording the atrocities that have been happening in Gaza. He's got over 17 million Instagram followers, extraordinary young guy. Anyway, he um, he has taken a photo, a remarkable photo, that has been recognised as one of the photos of the year by Time, Time magazine, And it's of a young girl who is stuck under her house rubble after it was bombed by Israeli airstrikes at a refugee camp. And, you know, there are so many people under the rubble and stories of survival after days and days. But in this particular one, the rescuers, meaning the Palestinian men, who were trying to remove the rubble by hand and get this child out, couldn't really work out whether she was alive or dead. And Motaz put his camera in there on a particular shutter speed to photograph and really just to to work out, you know, where she she was at. Anyway, go find him. It's M-O-T-A-Z underscore A-Z-I-A-I-Z-A and have a look at this photo. Um, It's just beautiful and heart-wrenching and I'm so... I'm so grateful to the media that actually have given him this credit because he certainly deserves it. There are many journalists on the ground um, and he's just one of them. There's young women, young men uh, still on the ground and still dreaming live through Instagram. Okay, that's it for me today. Go in peace.